You're listening to That Worked, a show that breaks down the careers of top founders and executives and pulls out those key items that led to their success. I'm your host, Callan Harrington, founder of Flash Growth, and I couldn't be more excited that you're here. Today's guest, we have Sam Shepler. Sam is the founder and CEO of Testimonial Hero, multiple-time entrepreneur. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Callan. It's an honor to be here. So, Sam, why don't you tell us in your own words, what is Testimonial Hero? What do you guys do? Absolutely. So Testimonial Hero, we help B2B marketing teams close deals faster with video testimonials. The whole kind of idea that we based the company on was that the last 10, 20 years of sales and marketing was really more about persuasion. And the the next several decades of sales and marketing are about trust. We're seeing this shift where buyers today, they're doing their own research much more before they talk to a salesperson, right? The ways that you used to build trust don't really work anymore. You need to give these buyers who are you know, self-servicing a way to understand that you can do what you say you can do, you can solve their problems. And one of the best ways to do that at scale is with video, right? Getting your customers on video, there's just so many benefits to video in terms of like the trustworthiness and the credibility, which I'm sure we can go into. I mean, text testimonials or written case studies are possibly better than nothing. But you know, when you can get someone on video and actually see their eyes light up and understand the, you know, hear the excitement in their voice, you know, that's just a whole another level of credibility and trust. And as anyone who leads a revenue team will, will know, if you don't have trust, you're not going to be able to hit your hit your growth goals. And uh, essentially, yeah, that's what we do for over 400 uh, customers in, in B2B software and B2B tech, you know, help them make video testimonials, uh, make that process really easy to get highest quality video testimonials, both remote or onsite all over the world. And ultimately, our goal is to help them create more pipeline and build the trust they need to grow faster. I'm a big believer in video. And I think one of the things I think is really interesting, and I and I had read about this before starting to do more of my own video, and I'm obviously biased because I'm a client of Testimonial Hero, and I love the process that you guys have laid out. But one of the most interesting things is when I'll sit down with somebody for the first time and they've seen some of my videos and you get that response of, I feel like I know you. It brings it to light. It definitely has a different feel to it. But I do want to dive into all of those. But before we get there, how did this all start? Not necessarily testimonial hero, but multiple time entrepreneur. Where did your career kind of kick off? Absolutely. Basically, rewinding back to college, I'd always been interested in video, you know, grew up making snowboarding films, snowboarding videos, uh, just for fun, you know, in Vermont um, with my friends and various other videos. This is when like cameras still had a uh, little like mini tapes with them. It wasn't like just recording to an SD card. iMovie had came out around then and that was like amazing. So I kind of like taught myself how to edit, uh, do some video editing in end of high school, kind of took that with me to college, was making some, you know, always was pretty entrepreneurial, but actually thought I wanted to get into feature films, filmmaking. That that was what I, that was my intention actually at college. That's why I was primarily studying was and I thought I wanted to kind of make movies essentially. But along the way, I, I realized, okay, I can make a few extra bucks for 
making videos for like the local pizza place or, you know, the local comic book shop or whatever, you know, and this was 2009, 2010-ish. So basically, yeah, just started like, you know, freelancing a little bit on the side. Someone ended up seeing my work, uh, who was like a entrepreneur who ran a couple of companies in the city that I worked in. It was just, you know, or was going to school in. So I think, yeah, that interesting thing there is like, I just kind of was like doing stuff, put myself in a pretty lucky position because I was actually like out there like doing stuff, you know? And then I, my work got seen by this entrepreneur. He basically was like, hey, like, I like this. You should come work for me. And I was like, sure, that sounds good. I think at the time, like he paid me like $15 an hour. And I was like, great. I got a really good window into entrepreneurship, actually. And he showed me that he didn't have every, everything figured out, but he had like a multi seven figure business, multiple multi seven figure businesses. But at the same day, it was just coming to work. Here's what's going on. Let's figure out a way to solve these problems. Kind of like a stereotypical successful, but also like adventurous small business, right? That doesn't have everything figured out. But like, I, I love that. And that got me, you know, really excited. I've always been someone who has a sense of adventure and problem solving and intellectual curiosity. And I actually, that was sort of when I first started to realize that like, I really liked the intellectual and strategic challenges of entrepreneurship in general. And also it demystified it for me a bit. Anyone can do this because basically just seeing inside like a small business, there's nothing magical here. You just have to solve a problem, execute and like doesn't have to be perfect. So basically that kind of and then I read the four hour, hour work week uh, at around that time as well. So so basically working for an entrepreneur and then reading the four hour work week, those were both at the time like very life inflections um, that set me off on, on the path. Uh, long story short, a little bit after that, I had enough freelance book of business built up in video production that I was able to, you know, me and a couple of friends, like we basically just partnered up and started a video production company right out of college. And we ran that for um, five or six years, uh, had a small exit. And then about you know, a couple of years after that, I started up Testimonial Hero and been doing Testimonial Hero for the past five years as well. Let's back up a little bit here. So you got this opportunity to, I don't want to say apprentice, but essentially you had this mentor. What were some of the things that you learned there that were really important um, on your career just in general? That's a good question. Again, one of the biggest things I learned was that you didn't have to be some genius to you know be successful. Okay, this guy, he's a, he's a smart guy. He works really hard, but I'm a smart enough guy and I can work really hard. I don't see why I can't do it. The biggest thing for me was just seeing that like entrepreneurship wasn't some magical thing that was reserved for like the anointed people. This is all possible, you know? And, and that's really actually powerful to take away. Some of the other things that I learned, I definitely improved a lot with like copywriting. I was doing a fair bit of um, email copywriting, website copywriting, honed that skill a fair bit, you know, a little bit of sales. So kind of like a well-rounded approach. And but but honestly, the biggest value that I got out of it, one, the understanding that I really had a passion for entrepreneurship. And then two, understanding that it is something that if you are passionate about it and you're not afraid of hard work, it's very achievable. You just have to put in the work. You know, it's not some magical thing that's out of reach. That's so interesting. Here's one of the things, and I totally agree with that, but it took me 14 years to do it. 
And one of the first realizations after about the first week of panic was, oh, this isn't what I necessarily thought it was. Not to say that in a positive way in that you're building your own thing, but that thing that I thought was so daunting wasn't really it. So getting that at a young age, I think is huge. So you left and you started uh, your own company with with a partner. Was this Skyscope? That was, yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Gotcha. What was that transition like for you from going, um, and it sounds like you had built somewhat of a foundation by doing, were you freelancing as a side hustle while you were working at the company you were working at? I was, and then I also left out a little bit. I worked as a personal trainer for kind of in bridging the gap between both of those things as well. And at least in my situation at the time, a personal trainer is like, 100% entrepreneurial, or you're like basically a contractor for the gym, you're a salesperson. And actually, I'm happy to talk about, you know, sales. And that was actually some of the best early on sales experience in past was working as a personal trainer. Yeah, I mean, you you don't get paid. It's like the eat what you hunt. You're only getting paid if you find clients and train them and you know, you get half of that and the gym gets, you know, half of that. Um, But you're not making, you know, an hourly wage. It's like purely commission, at least that's the, the situation I was I was in as like a just out of college kid. So that was also something that I, you know, used to kind of, you know, bridge that gap. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't too long before I was able to just say, hey, like, I'm going to focus 100% on, you know, the video production agency. That was also a fun and interesting experience, the, the personal uh, training, you know, front. It's funny. I think those don't get talked about enough. And what I mean in particular is those early careers that nobody, you're never putting on, like I highly, highly, highly doubt you're gonna, well, one, you're not gonna put anything on a resume anymore anyway, but I'm not putting my early retail experience on a resume, but I learned so much from working at Dick's Sporting Goods that I still use to this day. Now, one of the things I, I'd love to dive into here is you know, you brought up something and I this is I mean, I have to constantly remind myself and it's a constant struggle. I get very excited about when you are an entrepreneur and you have some runway, if you're more of that kind of visionary entrepreneur, there's so many different ideas and there's so many different avenues that you can go to. How do you stay focused, right? Like you went specifically for this video production. How did you choose that? And how did you stay focused on that as opposed to being opportunistic with the different, all the different items that you could have done? Well, the truth is I was trying other things as well. And the video production company was just the one that started making money, right? And and even with Testimonial Hero, I didn't really intend to start another service-based business after I exited my first one, to be honest. (laughs) That wasn't my... uh, Why is that? Just because, you know, a mix of like one, they service-based businesses are great. They can be very challenging. Now I, I actually know a lot more about them. So that, and I really, we really productized Testimonial Hero. So that was something that made it a thousand times better from a lifestyle and also scalability and growth perspective. You know, we're one of the fastest growing private companies in the US. Congrats. I saw that. Number 342 on the 22 Inc. 5000. So that's pretty up there uh, in terms of growth. Yeah, it's excellent. We could call it out there. It's excellent. <laughs> and unlike the the Forbes under 30, where you can just hire your PR firm, they actually take your financials and your tax returns to get on that list. So that's cool. But uh, just a little bit of dig there at Forbes. So I would love to go back to this because 
this is something that's talked about quite a bit, but I don't know that I've seen. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's others, but I don't know that I've seen anybody that has done it this well, where I bet I have to assume the majority of people that look at you at first are like, oh, this is like a SaaS company. This isn't necessarily this productized services company. Um, And not to say that there's not elements of both, right? But what I would love to dive into is this idea of productized services. And for our listeners, this productized services is where you have a service business and you form a product out of that service because a lot of times, you know, some of the pains, if you think of like a traditional agency business, like a marketing agency or a consulting company, is all the projects come in very unique. And then you start to build some frameworks around it. But then where you can really scale these things is when you productize it. So a couple of questions. What does productized services mean to you? And what was that transition like for you in doing that with Testimonial Hero? Productized services means to me, you know, you're putting some guardrails around, you know, what you will do, what you won't do, trying to make sure you can wrap a process around it. So it can be really delivered again and again, you know, eventually without you needing to be involved at all. And basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. You're taking a more product lens to a service with the goal. The whole goal is just to make it easier to sell and easier to remove yourself from it. So, you know, you can scale more. And I think one of the biggest things that isn't a nuance that is not talked about enough with productized services is it's not a binary, oh, you're either like a productized service or you're not. The question is like, how productized do you want to be at any given time to best achieve your goals? In the beginning, you might not want to be quite as productized because you just need to like get some clients in the door. Sometimes like you need to do, you know, some a little bit of customization or a lot of customization to to kind of close those deals, get those initial cash flow. And also you might not know what to productize, right? You might have to sell a bunch of engagements or projects or to understand where can the value be kind of captured in, in, in such. So in the beginning, you know, a lot of times you're broader and then you kind of understand you're like, aha, like this is the thing. Like for us, testimonials are the thing, like let's productize it. But, and then you, you, know, you can scale up to a point, but then like up, you know, we're about a $4 million company right now. So like not, not huge, but like for a bootstrapped service-based business and certainly for a productized service, you know, I'd say one of the, the bigger productized services out there that I'm aware of. Not the biggest, but you know, one of the bigger ones. But yeah, basically, like then you might get to a point where you're like, okay, like we actually have to reintroduce more customization because in order to keep growing, if if that's your goal, like you're you're moving up market to these enterprise accounts, a SaaS company, you know, you're introducing, you know, more more customization and more more hands-on stuff. So it's really a strategic choice of like how productized you want to be at, at any stage of your journey. The key thing is like pretty early on, like I was able because we productized, I was able to remove myself from the service delivery, remove myself from, you know, in, in, I mean, when I say pretty early on, I mean, like, it still took like two years to do that, right? A lot of agencies, owners, they're never fully removed from service delivery, right? Or they're never fully removed from sales. And also in about, you know, two years, I was fully removed from, from sales. And then I can just focus on growing the business or working on the business, right? At the end of the day, there's that kind of trite maxim as an entrepreneur, like, you know, you need to work on the business and not just in the business. And like productizing is one really good way to do that. If you don't, 
you know, a lot of agencies is not actually like a business. It's self-employed, like a job that you have. Like, it's not really like a business or an asset. So yeah, those are kind of all the reasons why I like productizing. Like, I'm not dogmatic about it around like, oh, you need to be a productized service. It's more like, well, what are your goals and what degree of productization might help you best achieve that? It makes total sense. I think there's a ton. I personally am a big believer in it. Here's one thing I'd love to dive into is how did you guys productize? And if you have any stories specifically in that process, I think that's huge because I think a lot of people want to do it, but don't necessarily know how to do it. So if you have any stories on how you guys did this specifically, that'd be great. But just diving a little bit on the how to this. The biggest thing is that most people don't have something valuable worth productizing yet. The productizing isn't necessarily, you know, the hard part. It's having something really valuable that you can actually do really well. I had spent, you know, four years before Testimonial Hero, four or five years plus making video testimonials at Skyscope, my prior video agency. So like at this point, like I was very good at making B2B video testimonials. So like it really wasn't that hard to do because I had built up, you know, that expertise, right? That is the step that you can't skip. It's actually being world-class at whatever you're trying to do and whatever you're trying to productize. And if you're not there yet, you just need more time and effort to you know, be better, right? And that's when I, where I see people struggle in their starting out is mainly they're just not that good yet. You know? And that's not like a judgment on them. It just does take reps to actually get good. Like You can't you know, decide you're going to start an ag- a social media marketing agency from scratch you know, with you know, no experiment experience because like some guru told you it was a really good move and then immediately like try to figure out why you're not you know doing six figures every month yet there was a whole like differentiation and positioning thing and like market timing like one of the reasons like we've had a lot of success you know with testimonial hero relatively is our timing was really good and you know that was intentional like i sort of saw video is still becoming increasingly important customer stories and social proof is more important than ever. No one's really taken both of those two ideas and melded them together and built the best company in that space yet. I forget the original question, but that's uh, th- th- those are a couple of thoughts. No, it's all good. I mean, so you talked about in particular, and we could dive more into that as well, but um, you talked in particular about, and I agree, it's you have to have a long-term focus. And that's even, even if you're not even an entrepreneur, if you're in a career having that long-term focus, like you're not going to shoot straight to CRO, CEO, overnight. You've got to gain a lot of knowledge um, in order to do that. Now, some people can, right? You could be a great founder. You can go jump straight to CEO. But a lot of times you have to have that long-term focus. And what I love about what you just mentioned is you took everything that you've learned in the past and then put it together. So although Testimonial Hero, because you guys grew really fast, really quickly, may seem like an overnight success, it's really a long time coming from what you've perfected, really going back to the snowboarding videos since high school, which I think is really, really, really cool to see. So when you guys start, you mentioned something about kind of creating guide rails. Do you believe that productizing is more about delivering on repeatable process that others can be taught and kind of put into, I don't want to say this assembly line, but you have this assembly line and we follow this. And is it better for products that don't need really hyper-specific knowledge? Like for instance, a consulting company could be hyper-specific in a specific space 
and you have to have an idea of all the market forces. Is it better for companies, services, businesses that have more of a repeatable delivery that they have? Yeah, so it's a good question. And, you know, so typically it's basically a question about like trade-offs and, and such. And like, yes, typically if you're productizing, you're sort of making a little bit of a trade-off to kind of have a smaller average contract value and but you know make it more scalable and like sell more of them sell them more easily and be able to staff them with you know relatively more or less experienced people because you have the good process now i do think one of the other things that we did well is like we kind of questioned that i think there was before testimonial hero there was a real prevailing sentiment that all productized services weren't premium it was just never like productized service didn't equal like a premium product I specifically really wanted to push back on that and say, like, we are going to productize as much as possible and also be a premium product, right? In that case, then, you know, for at least in our situation, like, we had to figure out other, like, value innovations. So our first one with Testimonial Hero uh, was that we built a global network of videographers all over the world to help us actually film the testimonials. So we were able to deliver these projects uh, to customers, you know, anywhere, film anywhere in the world at, you know, fixed prices. Because, you know, on one hand, we were productized, but we also had some really unique elements, you know, and still do have some very unique elements. So that can help come in still a premium price. I think the consultancy model, it's just a different model. It's still really good. It just relies on different resources, right? If you're going to go a more traditional consultancy model, then you're Typically, as far as I mean, I've never built a business like this, but as far as I understand it, you're you're bringing on kind of partners or you know people that you know can sort of be subject matter experts. And you know, it's more of like the kind of the law firm model, right? Where you're billing, you know, billing a really high hourly rate, more like eat what you kill. That person does really well. The firm at large takes a cut, and then yeah. So I think yeah, they both can work. But yeah, for us in being in the video space, like this, this is what made sense. Makes sense. It makes sense. And even the consulting model, it's very much who you're consulting with, right? And how you're positioning yourselves as a consultant, because many consultants can productize a lot of it through digital courses and, and things like that, which is essentially the same thing. Just you're targeting an audience that doesn't need, that doesn't have as complicated challenges for the whole, which is typically going to be earlier stage companies. Not all, right? If you raise a ton of capital, you're an early stage company, you still got a lot of really intense challenges. So I want to go back to something that we talked about. And as you kind of, you productize the service, you started Testimonial Hero, you started to ramp that, and now you started to remove yourself from the delivery of the service, which in services, a lot of talked about, right? You've got kind of that visionary lead, you have the delivery lead. And then if you've got a third partner, I know Greg Alexander talks about this a lot in his book, and you have somebody that's creating new service offerings. But a lot of times I see that visionary taking that as well. Now, how did you do that? How did you start to do that? And how did you start to kind of loosen up that feeling of, I need to control this? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know that's pretty common. A lot of people, like, it's your baby. How did you give that away? I think you just got to follow the pain at least in my situation, I got to a point where like I had so much work coming in and you know, I was just burning the candle at both ends and everywhere in between. And I don't have the choice to be picky about like, oh, like I, I, it's not, it's, it was not about if it was my baby. It's like, I, I just can't 
functionally, physically keep doing what I'm doing. Like I need, you know, help if I, unless I'm going to start turning down business, which I didn't want to do. If you're having trouble like doing it, you like, you might not be busy enough yet, but like, you'll know, like if you're just like, I don't care, I just need help. Like, you know, you get to that point. And I think that's a good place to go to. My intention initially with testimonial here was never to scale it up to, you know, where we are now, frankly, like I was just, you know, I had a software product I was idea I was working on. It didn't pan out and I needed to generate some cash flow. So, you know, and I was excited about the idea, but like it was more like practical in the beginning, right? So in the beginning, just building up a war chest, worked my butt off in the beginning and got to the point where like, yeah, we like had like a nice war chest of capital and like utilized like freelancers per project contractors as much as possible from the beginning. But then yeah, eventually like someone's still got to manage those freelancers. And, and that was me for the first year and a half got to the point where just clearly like, you know, needed help and then found a great person to help with the service delivery. And with that, it's sort of like stair step it. People are like, oh, like, how am I going to remove myself? It's like, well, you don't immediately remove yourself from everything. You slowly remove one thing at a time over a month or two, like you're, you're removed when you can slowly do that. But obviously like you have to make the right hire. I definitely made the right hire. There's certainly an element of luck to finding great people. Although I will say like I was interviewing, I think like three people in the final round for that role. And even before I had any employees, I had set, you know, core values for like what I wanted the culture to be like. I picked the final person because they best fit the core values that I had set. So I think, you know, it's lucky, but also there was tension around the culture we were building. And like one of our core values that we have today still is, is attention to detail. Came down to two candidates. One of them had like multiple punctuation mistakes in their email, you know, missing commas. This has happened like twice. This is just not, this guy's out. The other candidate I think had the edge anyways, but like that just made it very clear. This is how you do anything is how you do everything. I believe that. I think there is something to be said for having, being proactive about like the values you want to set before you bring in your first team member, because three or four team members down the line, like you have a culture, whether you like it or not. So you might as well put the thought in ahead of time. And that was honestly one of the biggest things I learned from Testimonial Hero and like having some entrepreneurial experience is, especially in a service-based business, your experience as the founder is really related to how to your experience working with your team. And like, do you like everyone on your team? Or like, are they stressing you out? Or like, there's all these questions. And like, we had a great team at Testimonial here or at uh, Skyscope is a little more rough because we we're kind of like retroactively figuring out what our culture was as time went on. I don't think we ever got it perfect. Very intentionally from the beginning, at, you know, at Testimonial here, I was like, all right, here's going to be our core values. And before we had any employees and it's important. I did that on day one of my business as well. And I've done that at all the, every company that I've been at, if they didn't have them already, we typically built them pretty quickly, but I didn't know that at first either. So talking about that a little bit, how did you create your core values at Testimonial Hero? So a couple of ways, and I'm not saying this, this is the best way that, you know, some people would say, oh, like maybe this isn't the best way, but I, you know, this is what, what I did thought about things that frustrated me, annoyed me with people in general, or how can we make the value the opposite of that? Just to kind of give it, and then also things that we would need to succeed, strategic imperatives that we would need to succeed, and things that I thought were good attributes about myself that I wanted to kind of 
continue to do a good job on and, and also replicate in other people. So like, for example, our five core values, we have six core values now, our original five core values were, uh, and well, they still are, they, they haven't changed, we've added a sixth one, but commit to attention to detail, always be learning and growing. So I wanted people who, you know, one of my biggest things is like, I love very curious person, I love learning and growth. And like, I wanted to build a company and attract people who also like share that value, right? Who are, you know, really engaged in the work they're doing. And it's not just like, oh, like punching in to get my paycheck and see ya. It's like, actually like, I'm interested in like, you know, sure, I might not be at testimonial here forever, but like, while I'm there, I, I want to learn and grow as an, a person to be the best person and professional I am in my career. And like, actually be excited about that. So yeah, always be learning and growing, celebrate work-life integration, freedom and flexibility. We do a lot in terms of like having not a lot of bureaucracy around like how you want to work, where you want to work, unlimited, you know, vacation and, and all that. Deliver an effortless experience, just making it super easy for the, our customers. That has always been a strategic imperative is like effortless experience, right? And then the fifth original one was persistence and tenacity. You're always going to run into challenges and like, you know, people don't have like persistence and tenacity in a small, you know, growing, you know, startup company. It's like, it's going to be really hard and it gets frustrating. So definitely just wanted to screen people for that. And then we added a, a sixth one, um, you know, within the last year, which is uh, practice accountability and ownership. Because we had, you know, some situations where like, we had some people who are, you know, maybe people just weren't taking so, as much ownership of their area as we would have liked. And we're like, you know what, we talk about this, let's just make it a core value, right? Ownership to me means just like, it doesn't mean not making mistakes, it just means not making excuses. And there's nothing more frustrating than like having people on your team who like, always have an excuse. It just doesn't fly, obviously, as you know, in a high performing organization, you've led teams like that. Yeah, it's like, look, like, it's okay to make mistakes, just like take ownership of the solutions. You haven't heard back from that customer. And we need to approve this project. We're like, they haven't got back to you on email. That's not like the end of the conversation. How else can we contact them? Have you tried sending them a LinkedIn message? Have you tried calling them? Have you tried whatever it, you know, it takes? Take a little bit more ownership of the situation instead of you know making excuses like, oh, I sent them an email. They didn't respond. What else am I supposed to do? So circling back to your initial question, like how I did it was uh, a mix of you know, core values. Like how did I pick them? It's things that you know, I knew would frustrate me that I wanted to avoid, things that I thought people would value that I also valued, like learning and growth, and then strategic product or service related things like effortless experience and attention to detail that I knew would be critical to win. I love that. And one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times, I want to quickly ask is, how are you screening candidates for these core values? Yeah, a couple of ways. So one, I always have a couple questions. One of our core values is always be learning and growing. Can you tell me about a time, you know, recently, both personally and professionally, where you had to, you know, learn something new to solve a challenge or achieve an outcome in, you know, what was it? Stuff like that. There's no right or wrong answers, but like, you don't want really thin answers, right? You don't want answers that are just not substantial, right? And you can tell when people are actually, yeah, you just don't want thin answers. Um, another way we do it is, you know, we kind of review all of our core values with them. We, and we ask which of these stand out to you the most and which of these resonate the most to you and why? If they're just like, oh, I, I like them all, they're great. 
that's like not ideal, right? You want people to be like, I love learning and growing. Like that means so much to me. That's just the person I am. Like I love like podcasts and like all this stuff. And another example is like, you can kind of follow up on those questions. Sometimes ask people, oh, like, how do you like stay learning and growing like personally and professionally? You can always tell when people are actually like, and they're name dropping like their amazing podcast or like a really generic answer. Like, oh, I read like, the, you know, art of habit, like last year or two years ago, like that was the last book I read or, you know, whatever. And that's a great book, but like, we're really looking for like specifics, just like any, you know, interview situation and specifics, actual passion, real substantive answers versus just like thin kind of, you know, answers that don't show a lot of enthusiasm. Makes sense. Asking situationally based questions around those, those core values. Exactly. I do a lot of situationally based questions personally because I think that you nailed it. There is no right or wrong answer to a situationally based question. And I think a lot of times it's hard when you're asking a question and for them to come up with the right answer. It's like, they're one, they're in a stressful situation. You're asking them to come up on the spot. They may not just be a kind of person that's going to come up with that kind of answer on the spot. So I think those are great. So Sam, the last question I want to ask is, uh, you know, you've had all the success. I love what you talked about. And you've exited a company, started another, using all of the knowledge that you gained at this previous experience, have grown super quickly, ranking very high in the Inc. 5000. When you look back at all of this, you know, and you had to give yourself advice at any time in your career, doesn't matter what it is, what advice would you give your younger self? I would probably say, think longer term, you know, be more patient. For me personally, like every business that I've started has never been the initial business I set off to start in some cases. And as an entrepreneur, you're always, you're always hearing about, oh, like, you know, what this hot space or like whatever's hot. If you're not in that space, there's a lot of FOMO or second guessing that can happen. And I think I've gotten a lot better at that uh, because at the end of the day, like, first of all, you, you can't compare yourself to like another business model without like taking the goods and the bads of that model, right? That's important to realize, you know, also, also on an individual level, right? You can't compare yourself to, and I, I believe like, I don't remember who I heard this, maybe it was from like Tim Ferriss has brought this up, I think a couple of times, you can't like compare yourself to someone else and like just pick their good stuff. Oh, I wish I was in that person's position. You have to take their bad stuff so, as well. And especially earlier on in my career, like I would always be thinking the grass is greener in like, you know, different industries or different situations. And, and yeah, my advice would just be to not to worry about that. Think longer term and just embrace where I'm at more with the realization that like for me personally, I'm 33 and like, if I want to do, you know, like right now, AI is like the hot startup, you know, idea, right? Circa like, you know, two weeks ago, right? And it's like, great, I can keep running testimonial here for the rest of my 30s. And I can, if I want to do some other like AI startup, I can do that like in seven years or whatever, or whatever I want. Instead of being like, oh, like, I wish I was doing that right now. It seems so cool, right? The advice I would give is just embracing kind of where you're at right now, taking a longer term view, realizing like, you have probably more time than you think to do all these other business ideas that you want to do because all entrepreneurs have you know multiple business ideas. And thankfully for me, like I haven't tr actually tried to do most of them. I, I haven't tried to do multiple ones at the same time. That's when it becomes really problematic. 
on my end. It's more of like an intellectual distraction sometimes. But uh, that's basically the advice I would give, you know, be patient, stay focused, don't let the grass is greener situations um, distract you do the best job that you can with what's in front of you. Because ultimately, if you want to do something else way down the line, like the experience that you get wherever you're at is what lays the foundation for that. Whether it's, you know, the leadership experience, the strategy experience, the people management experience, the worst thing you can do or the, well, the best thing you can do is always be building the skills that you need to uh, eventually, you know, take that huge swing or, or whatever it is you want, right? And, and there's no reason you can't do that today. And you know? so, so don't lose sight of that. I love it. That's a great spot to end it. Sam, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, Callan. This was fun. 